Well, greetings. My name is Bill Kokenauer, and I'm part of the Exponential team, and it's my honor to welcome you to this discussion on what's next in church multiplication. Um, what an interesting time to be sitting here as we close out a year that few of us could have anticipated. Um, and I, I actually think it's difficult at this point to quantify the impact of 2020. I think, I think it's going to prove to be more impactful than we even realize at this moment. Uh, I think 2020 hit uh, actually at a time that was, in my mind, one of, if not the most dynamic time in the history of the Church of the West. There were already changes. I was already seeing changes underway before 2020 that just seemed to have been accelerated by the pandemic. I mean, there were churches that were beginning to embrace new forms of ecclesiology, new approaches to church planning. It was a renewed understanding and awareness and appreciation for disciple-making as the core um, role of the church. Uh, and all of that, I think, is forcing us, at least in some places, to move beyond kind of the prescriptive approaches that we've relied on for decades and really forge new descriptive pathways that are led by the Holy Spirit. And so it's with that in mind that We've scheduled three, actually three successive panel discussions today, a week from today, and two weeks from today, with multiplication leaders, each one of whom has a, a very unique uh, perspective, and it's a very broad perspective of the church in the West. And so their views on where we've been and where we might be headed, I think, are important to all of us. And these are these are people that I want to hear from. So, um, so I... I to look at what's next in multiplication, let me introduce you to the, our panelists today. Uh, J.D. Pering, who's the director of Excel Leadership Network. Uh, he's the church planning lead for Transformation Ministries and is the teaching team coach at Journey Church in Elk Grove. Uh, J.D., welcome. Good to have you here with us. Thanks so much for having us. It's an honor to be here with uh, Dan and Dave and you, Bill. Thanks a ton. Well, good to have you. Tell, tell us just briefly a little bit about Excel. So for anybody that might be on that uh, that's not aware. Okay, just uh, quickly, my wife and I started our first church back in 1983. One year in, we'd already helped start another church, and I was with my supervisor, a guy named Bob, and I said, hey, we're thinking about going to two services, we're doing small groups, what do you think? Everything I asked him, he said, uh, give it a shot, why don't you try it, go for it. I realized um, I needed more than Bob. And at that point, God gave me this vision to work with church planters and leaders. A vision for network really wasn't the word. Maybe it's more fraternity was really the 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 word. And so we've been working towards that. Um, we started three different churches ourselves, helped start quite a few others, and then we started Excel Leadership Network several years ago. The goal is to do Acts 13 to spot high level leaders, set them up for success, send them out and support them, and. Um, that's what we do. We plan our own churches, but we also work with denominations, churches, other networks, and, and planting. And uh, we're trying to, right now, we're trying to do the parable of the sower. We did 30 churches. Last year, we did 60. Starting 2021, our, our goal is to do 100. So that's who we are. We, we, we focus on the leader. We bet on the jockey, not the horse, the driver, not the, not the car. Excellent. Excellent. And just by the way, for those of you that don't know these guys, all, all three of these guys are, are three of the most kingdom minded people I know that work across denominational lines just for, for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of bringing the kingdom bear, to bear on the U.S. So uh, we also have with us Dave Robinson as the executive director of church movements for crew and the teaching elder in the uh, evangelical Presbyterian church. Dave, good to have you with us. 
It's really good to be with you guys. Look forward to our coffee time. Yeah. Well, um, Church Movements is relatively new to Crew. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing there. Yeah, Church Movements is uh, a ministry within Crew. It's global. We call it Global Church Movements outside the U.S. Um, we we partner to multiply the church. We have a our if we had one metric, it would be a multiplying communities. But our mission statement is partnering to make Jesus known in a saturation model in city after city, multiply the church and serve the city. Uh, we partner with those with the vision, the strategic objective here in the U.S. of getting to the 160 million lost people in our country. Uh, the American mission field is typically not as known to be the burden that it should be uh, for most uh, in, uh, you know, the church. Mm-hmm. And so we think that it'll take 1 million new apostolic leaders, church planters, missional leaders to give access to all those 160 million uh, to church. And so our goal is 160 million reached, uh, uh, 160,000 new churches and mobilizing 1 million uh, new leaders. We have three audiences that we focus on directly, uh, those who are far from God. Um, and we want to come alongside the church to equip every follower of Jesus to normalize evangelism and disciple making, and then come alongside all missional leaders to increase their confidence and capacity to multiply their community. That's excellent. Good, good can to have I change you. My, can I change my vision after hearing that 160 160- <laughs> Billion churches. Yeah, we, we, part, we, we partner to do it. Okay. Right, yeah. Oh gosh. We don't do it by ourselves. In, in fact, if I was a betting man, these three guys have met each other for the first time on this call. My, I will bet you that by the end of 2021, all three of them are working together in some capacity somewhere. Uh, yeah. yeah. So. No, it's it's just a, a a vision that we it pulls all of our values together, and one of them being kingdom partnership. Uh, well, we also have with us uh, Dan Greider. Dan's the founding architect for the Unite Church Network. And Dan, you and I first met uh, sitting at a t- having breakfast at Saddleback Ranch one day, uh, I don't know how many years ago now, and just got talking and got to know each other there. And, and it's been fun to watch um, what God's done through you and through Ignite over the, over the years. But uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about the Ignite Network. Well, we, we began... In three different cases and on each coast, uh, East Coast, West Coast, uh, and even in the middle of the United States, planting churches. But realized my time clock is going to run out because I would plant a church, and from that church we'd plant, uh, in one case, 10 churches, another uh, 45 churches, another 15 churches. And I realized that that's, that's well, it's okay. Uh, there's got to be something more. So I really asked the Father uh, to start this network and he uh, granted that wish in, in a way that was a little shocking to me and a little disturbing, uh, which is the way God tends to work sometimes, uh, doesn't do it the way you expect him to. And so we launched this network 10 years ago. Uh, in the last 10 years, we planted a hundred hubs. And from those hubs, um, in many cases, there'll be 40 to 60 churches that plant out of those churches. And some of them are micro churches. Some of them are churches of a thousand. So people say, oh, so you're a micro church. Or it's, it, it's, the Holy Spirit leads. Uh, and so we just kind of launch. But the key is what we do is we, st- we start with the disciple making culture and communities because the irreducible minimum is always discipleship that Jesus gave us. He never told us really to plant churches. He said he'd build the church. And the gates of hell won't prevail against that church. He tells us to go and make disciples. So what we do is we, we 
we try to, a lot of discipleship is set in a non-reproducing context where it's sanctification and benefiting the person looking in the mirror. Uh, but Jesus caused discipleship actually to be a, a multiplication process. So what we do is we, we try to eliminate the non, uh, there's so much non-reproducing and multiplication elements in what Americans call discipleship. So what we do is we try to, to, to establish Jesus' disciple-making culture as best we can in, in the church plan or the leader. And what we find is when we do that and create that hub, it almost always starts out an apostolic leader. We find that the Holy Spirit just will ignite movements in churches that would just sometimes explode throughout the region and the city. And, and in 10 years, we've really seen uh, the Father do some things that only really he can do. We, we take really no credit. For that. We just uh, we just kind of follow the Jesus pattern. That's kind of the language we use. That Jesus gave us a pattern, and in American churches, we don't really do that very well. We we tend to follow the American uh, CEO corporate pattern, and so that's 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 in a nutshell the what we try to do. So. Excellent, excellent. Well, you know, guys, we were all all of us were together, part of fifty five hundred people about ten months ago, almost exactly ten months ago. Hard to imagine um, that, I mean, all that's happened since then, it, 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 you know, it seems like, doesn't even seem like it was in the same year, but, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm curious, how are you, how are you guys doing personally? You know, how has this year been for, for you and your families? I could kick it off by just saying, um, for me, there's, there's three E words that kind of uh, I've been saying recently that described the year because Thanksgiving gave us time to reflect. But one is I was energized by the challenge, honestly was. Um, we, we've tried to pivot fast to online training and coaching communities, which the staff teams in our cities did really remarkably. Uh, the second would be I enjoyed a renewed focus and a renewed prioritization. Um, felt like the Lord was telling me to spend my time differently. And I, we spent our time on scalability things within our ministry that needed to get better and better. And then lastly, I, I would be saying honestly that uh, I endured a lot of setbacks um, personally, um, grieved what feels like a very unique uh, combination of, of tragedies in, in our family. Uh, I won't go into detail, but it, it was difficult. I'm grieving my mother's uh, passing away uh, just four weeks ago. And there are other issues that, that we, you know, that's real life. So when you, you know, you, you lead locally, we do stuff here and I'm a teaching elder and uh, we're working with church planters here in Kansas city, but also nationally. And then you've got this thing. My wife had COVID, you know, just lots of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We both, both lost our mothers this year. Yeah. yeah. Dan and JD, just curious how this has impacted you guys personally. Well, for us, we, um, I, I wasn't, no one's prepared for this, right? I think every email I open says, uses the word unprecedented. I'm so tired of hearing the word unprecedented. Okay. Yeah, it is unprecedented. But, but what has happened is we really experienced, I think our best season of church planning during this time, uh, because what I see happening is the Father seems to be at work stripping away that which is Paul talks about, wood, hay, stubble. Uh, you ever said a master wood, hay, stubble? It's gone in a heartbeat, and all you have left is what's established underneath it. 
And Paul talks about that in First Corinthians. And I, I've seen, I see churches burning away in a rapid fire way. And yet I see no most of our churches really doing well and actually thriving. We plan more churches than we ever have before. Yet at the same time, we lost a pastor to COVID. Uh, and we lost another pastor who was murdered. Um, and these are not old guys. Uh, the, the pastor who was murdered was 26 years old. Uh, he was, uh, he was, he, what happened was the drug dealer was so threatened that he was making disciples of all of his dealer of his business. He murdered him uh, with poisoning, uh, fentanyl poisoning. So, I mean, so there, we faced some things that we had never, and, I, and, and I, not that old of a pastor who died of COVID. So it's been, uh, as Dave said, grief, uh, and yet real joy because the father's clearly, I mean, He's not shocked by this. He's not going, oh my, COVID, what do we do? He's totally allowing providentially the, the, the grace of God, his grace to, to pour, be poured out on us. And I'm excited by it. And yet uh, yeah. we're all having to navigate, right? This unprecedented yeah. time. Yeah, along with that unprecedented word, I'm kind of getting tired of the word pivot, and I've already used it once today, yeah. twice. Now. <laughs> well, you know, it's you know, it's a, a monumental year when a, when a word like unprecedented is both overused and still applicable. <laughs> JD, have a. You know, um, there have been a few discouraging days, but I apologize in just saying this. It's been a great year. It's been a it's just. Um, Maybe for me personally, uh, people tend to socially distance from me anyway, and my wife says I look better with a mask. Um, I have learned to wash my hands now, which I never would did. No, but uh, it's been really a good year. It's, um, uh, we've seen some great stuff in ministry, and a lot of that's just our family is all doing well. We have four kids. They're all working. They're all married. They all uh, have um, <clears throat> kids. Our, our oldest, she's a missionary in um, – I, I can't say China, so I won't. Um, and they came back to the continent um, for Chinese New Year, just missed getting locked up. So they've been stuck here, which has been great for me. We've got a little granddaughter that uh, we get to see quite often. So it's been a real positive year. Our church is doing well. Our ministry is doing well. Giving's been up. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, we're all in the same boat, but it's been um, – it's actually been a pretty good year. Go, going in, I was just looking for, for God to give me some goals, and I could not come up with any. I just didn't feel like God was leading us to set any numerical goals or anything like that, but just have a year of deep roots. And that turned out to be brilliant because um, we haven't had any things we've had to work up. You know, got to hit this mark. We've just had a – it's been a good year. So I think there are some people – who are doing well, and most the most of the church planters we work with are, are folks that thrive on the challenge, as you said, uh, Dave. And so, <clears throat> it's been a different year, but I, you know, I don't. There's been a lot worse years for me in my life than 2020. And put it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's been different. That, it's interesting. It's been different for people just across the spectrum. Um, but what, I mean, you don't have a year like this that you don't have some lessons learned, especially as you, you know, we're, we're beyond Thanksgiving, like you were saying, Dave, is a, a, a time to reflect. And, and just as you've, as you've thought about this past year, what are the, the top two or three things that you feel like you've either learned that, or, or have been reinforced in, in your thinking? I, I can go first on that. <clears throat> There's a verse in, um, 
Acts 27 that's really been hitting me. You know, that's the shipwreck chapter where there Paul's on this boat and it's probably like 2020 for a lot of people. They, you know, they're holding the boat together with duct tape and, you know, bailing wire <clears throat> and they're throwing all the gear overboard and all this stuff. And it's just a disaster. And Paul gets everybody together and he says, take courage, take courage. <clears throat> and I guess the lessons that I've seen this year in the midst of the, the uh, stormy seas, a couple of things. What I've been, I've been a little surprised about how many people are so gripped with fear. Mm. Um, it's, it's been stunning to me. And I know that, I mean, a lot of that is media driven because the more they can make us fearful, the more we're going to watch their particular program, whatever, whatever variety it is. But <clears throat> I mean, there's some people who are just real. I don't know how they live with so much fear. I mean, they're probably wearing a mask in the shower. Just, it's just so gripping. But Paul says, take courage. And I, I see that as, you know, um, Encouragement is out there. You just got to take it. And uh, I, uh, we have to encourage ourselves. That's what David and 1 Samuel 30. <clears throat> We've got to work on make. As, and as leaders, I would just say, folks, do what you need to do. Keep yourself encouraged uh, because that's what people need. They need encouraging leaders. They need leaders who can step into a, a storm and say, hey, you know, God's got this, take courage, hang in there. So it's been a good year for me to just realize I got to encourage myself. There have been down days, but there's some things you can do. So those are just a couple quick good. lessons I've learned. Good. David, Dan? <clears throat> I don't mind. Go ahead, Dan, if you want to. Uh, you know, I think that the thing that has really – uh, this word non-essential is another one of the words that uh, essential and non-essential is another word we might add on. I think it's really been in many ways a missional wake up for us uh, because I think the fact that churches have been deemed non-essential uh, is is really a, an indictment and a missional wake up that we have to really own and, and embrace. When massage parlors uh, and, you know, a, a massage parlor in our town was called essential because they heal people, but they deemed that churches perform religious services. And, and I thought, okay, time out, what has happened here? I mean, because Jesus, the word that is used for Jesus is the word sozo, which is healing and, and restoration. Jesus' ministry was a healing ministry. He's called us to a healing ministry. How did we ever get in the business of church services? I, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. It, it's like we are... We are a healing ministry. Why is the massage parlor? And, and I'm not grabbing on the massage parlor. It's, 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 it's us. And, and so, so for me, it's been an indictment to us. And the American church has to deal with this issue that we don't understand. So we don't understand Jesus and his healing ministry. And I love in Luke 24, 45, it says, and he opened their minds so they could understand. And this is the resurrection. And I, I, I am seeing the, in the midst of, yes, there's fear, and there's a whole group of people who are reacting and fighting the libertarian First Amendment issues of rights, rights to assemble. I get that. Okay. But the bigger issue is oh, Jesus didn't give us our rights. Uh, the, uh, the U.S. did. Jesus gave us our rights, and our rights not, are not given by the government. And so we've got to look at how are we going to lead, and is he really opening our minds to think differently, to be on mission, to, yeah, 
So, so if we could do, if we could have five years and get into another situation where we have to deal with essential, non-essential, uh, I pray that the church would, would, would be deemed essential, that we would, that we would see ourselves, we don't see ourselves as essential. That's the biggest issue. We think that all we are to do is to do services. And I think that the one thing I think that that is, that is part of the, the wood hay stubble that's burning off right now in the American church culture. Yeah. yeah. Really good book. Um, for me, just a few quick lessons. I could unpack them another time, but uh, I would have to say that man, I mean, I've, you know, the first lesson I looked at the, from the big picture was that God is exalted and man is humbled. Um, you know, the scientists got cross messages. The government did this and that. Uh, the church was doing this and that. And, and it was a time of, of, of man realizing how dependent we really are and God is in control of everything. In, in the early days of the pandemic, Psalm 31 really stood out to me. And I won't read it to you, but there are, there are two verses here. I say trust, uh, but as for me, I trust in you. You are my God. My times are in your hand. Goes on and says that you hide me, you keep me. And then he, he closes in, in the last verse, be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. And, and the Lord, when I was in this passage for weeks, uh, the Lord whispered to me and said, Dave, tell everybody to walk boldly into their day and to resist fear. Uh, I'm in control, and I love that. The second thing uh, was that the gospel is not imprisoned. Uh, Karen, my wife, uh, in a similar vein, was was in Philippians 1, and we talked about what she was learning about how the progress of the gospel uh, occurred when Paul was in prison. He goes, this has all been for the progress of the gospel, and, it, and we started leading with that kind of hope and boldness, and it was great. And then the, the last I would say is, um, I, I was I was uh, really um, blessed by the fact that the church was listening. The church is listening to God and and learning and and coming together and learning from each other and and at a personal level, uh, two two things that impacted me were in my season is that I had to repent of being a bad neighbor myself. Um, you know, because immediately uh, there there are some older people um, on our block. Immediately, I was like, "Hey, I wonder if, if they they have any helpers." And I I just went and Karen and I went into action, and I had and I hadn't done that yet. And it's like, Dave, gosh, you gotta you gotta invest here too. And and so I think a lot uh, of us were repenting of being a bad neighbor. And then on the listening side for me personally, the second thing would be um, I, I've really invested in time listening to Gen Z because I had to turn to them and the younger millennials to say, okay, it's time to empower you because we don't know what the heck we're doing with social media and, and, and you know, digital world and all that. And we started employing their stuff and just need to learn more about Gen Z personally. Yeah. Wow, that's that's good. The, the uh, Dan, I want to uh, pick up on something that you said. There, a, a lot of conversations I've had with denominational network leaders as we got into this. There were a lot of churches that didn't realize how Sunday centric they were. They didn't realize how much of their income, identity, um, 
everything was wrapped up in the weekend um, gatherings and, and, you know, beginning. And I actually think that was part of a shift that we were seeing before 2020, but it kind of seemed accelerated. Are you guys, uh, are are you, I mean, you're working with obviously networks that are primarily uh, focused on multiplication already, but in, in just the the people that you come across, are you seeing a a shift away from a Sunday centric approach or, people hanging on, you know, hoping that at some point we'll return to February 2020? Well, people outside of our network keep having the the hope and the wish that I think things will turn back to the way we were before. I understand why they do that. Uh, we, we just, we, our network's divided into two groups. Um, uh, the idea is you take two elephants and two rabbits and 36 months, uh, you'll get three elephants or you'll get 400 million rabbits. And so what we, we, we focus on the fact that we, we try to do rabbit multiplication. So even our, some of our churches for years have what we call Trojan elephants. In other words, they look like elephants, but you unzip them and out come multiplying rabbits. And so, um, and we say, you know, wear the elephant suit as long as you need to wear the elephant suit. Uh, but the reality is that the church is really, uh, Jesus didn't give us an elephant suit, right? He didn't give us this complex Sunday-centric process. We, we did that, and we know the church history story on that. Uh, but in America, there's a value to the Sunday-centric element because we live in this culture. So, but the churches that have thrived are churches that have really held the elephant suit lightly because it's really, in this season, the rapid multiplication process, that rapid multiplying thing that Jesus gave us that we found is really... Uh, expanded, and that's that's where the success has been. Every every crisis that any pastor we've dealt with has is elephant suit issues. Now, there's some churches that are just pure elephants that they just they're slow reproducing, and they love Jesus, and they're good people, and they love the Bible, but but they're they don't have a multiplication gene really in them. Or if they do, they're going to plant a church, and it's going to be like an ele- a baby elephant. You know, it's it's a complex process. Um, so we we say that you know you're either going to reproduce uh, church is one of two ways. You're either going to reproduce with DNA. Like the, the reason why I mean, most of us have kids is because we couldn't keep our hands off our wife. We love our spouse. The, the father put inside us a, DNA, a reproduction drive. But if we had to lop an appendage off every time we had a baby, we'd think really hard about having a very large family. Uh, but most churches, when they plant churches, they're lopping off an appendage and it's expensive, it's costly, it's difficult, it's painful, and they don't do it. I mean, it's just so hard they don't do it. Uh, and so, but the Father gave us a reproduction DNA in the heart of every, you look at a brand new Christ follower and you just see, they want to talk about Jesus, there's this multiplication inside of them that just is natural. And so I think if the church can really get to what the Father has been doing from the time of the resurrection on, uh, we'll see a multiplication piece happen. But if, as long as we keep in this elephant piece, we're going to keep having these Sunday-centric conversations. Now, I, I agree with you, Bill. I think this conversation is, 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 has burned some of that off, for sure. Yeah. Okay. David, J.D., you guys have, um, I mean, again, your networks aren't, I, I wouldn't say are Sunday centric, but are you and just the other churches you interact with, are you seeing, are, do you sense that churches are moving more um, away from a Sunday centric approach and more into, you know, a disciple making based uh, form of multiplication, kind of Jesus way, as you mentioned, as uh, Dan mentioned earlier, are you guys seeing that as well? 
For us, um, it's very similar to what Dan mentioned, but we work with anybody who wants to multiply their community, no matter how, how they want to. But on the traditional church, legacy church side, we're seeing um, more and more leaders say we have to change our polity from a single elder-led thing to a, a shared leadership structure that has, you know, evangelists and apostolic leaders and across the board so that we can stay missional no matter what. And those churches, um, I'm thinking of one in Wichita, they still do a robust thing on Sunday, but they're casting a vision that, that, that the, the vision for all of us is that, that I, I'm not going to die and go to heaven, as the, the leaders are saying. <laughs> and you and I didn't love our communities in our Oikos network where, where, we, where we live, work, learn, and play. So we're, we're moving the emphasis out there where you live. And so all their community groups are now house churches, and they're starting to see multiplication. It's a, it's a great thing. But we're, we're not, what COVID showed is that we're not making disciples in the community on the ground. And, and, and we need to, and we need to get out there. So uh, the, the ones that are reproducing faster are the micro churches and just kind of saying, mm. and, and we see both attitudes. And I always say, you know, we bless both, um, both desires. We just want to come alongside the, the church and, and increase your multiplication. Uh, and we have some processes that we help if they don't have them themselves. But the culture is all, uh, Drew Stedman said this to me once that, that curricula is important, process is important, but the culture will trump all of these things. And it's true. Um, we, we, we have to start with uh, helping the leader see that, that the culture is shaped by everything they do. So we try to focus on on the leader uh, becoming a disciple more himself. JD, I know Excel focuses on the leader as well. And and how do how have you how do you keep churches? You know, the the, the Sunday centric approach is so. Um, I mean, there there is we at Exponential we talk about a magnet at what you know at level three. You know, level one are churches that are in decline. Level two plateaued. Level three these addition churches that we've typically championed four reproducing and five multiplying. And and what we've found is many of the things. In fact, most of the things that make a great level three church, you know, addition and that sort of thing, become the very things that keep you from moving beyond level three, but you've been able to keep your leaders focused on, on reproduction. What have been, how do you keep them from, from snapping back or snapping into kind of a, a Sunday centric approach? Well, I think COVID has been a great way to do that. That's the strategy. Yeah. It just, just put a, you know, put some sort of virus out there. Cause I, I think the, the level three churches are the uh, churches and, March, April, and May, whose byline was, oh, crap. Um, uh, they're the ones that, oh, man, where's our giving? I, you know, and it was just kind of an, oh, crap. And, and the, the level four and level five churches were like, hey, you know, um, what am I worried about? This isn't my church anyway. And this is, <clears throat> we're, not, we're not tied into it. You can just tell by the, the, how the pastors are doing. The the Sunday centric pastors, I mean, they're still yeah. really struggling. 
And the level four, level five guys, guys who are looking at doing the sort of multiplication that Dan was talking about, or, or just add a different approach that, hey, we're not here to, you know, it's not primarily about doing services. The, uh, those folks tend to be doing quite a bit better. And so, you know, how do you do that? I think COVID's been fantastic for that. Uh, there's, I think there's a lot of churches that are closing, and I don't think that's a bad thing. There's a lot of, a lot of pastors who are quitting or moving, and that's probably not a bad thing either. Um, one of the great things about COVID is it's given us just a lot of insight about who we're dealing with. The wheat and the weeds, you know, have just kind of, oh, now I, I see these people really were in all along and, um, you know, they, they kept giving, they kept, and, and these other folks were not. So uh, <clears throat> I, I don't know how you, you program that, even though I think this is going to be a, a great uh, way to just say going forward, hey, how, how important is this building thing, you know? Um, I, I, you know, we've discovered, we've been meeting outside for months and months. We can do that in California, but you don't need a building for ministry. You need a bathroom, but you don't need, you know, that's what we use. Our, our building is a glorified restroom, sort of what they are now. So, so how, how do you, how do you guys keep, okay, if, if, well, let me say it this way. What advice would you have, say for a level one, level two, level three, leader who, you know, has been focused on, you know, an, a, an addition metric of primary of, uh, primarily of success, who sees this and says, yeah, I, I need to move beyond level three. I need to move in to four, level four, level five. I need to begin to reproducing. What advice would you have for, for someone like that, 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 that sincerely wants to move beyond the level three? What are, what are some things that need to happen? I'd say, first, I just say take advantage of this incredible opportunity. This is the time to stop doing those uh, wood, hay, and stubble things that Dan was talking about. This is the time to, you know, just revise your leadership structure. You don't have 42 committees deciding to do everything. This is the time to get back to, hey, folks, uh, we're here to reach our neighbors. And have you talked to your neighbors? Like, like Dave said, they're more open than ever. I mean, to, they're, they're coming to Christ. So I was, that would be my first thing. Take advantage of the opportunity. You know, when Paul said, take courage in Acts 27, one of the things he was saying was, we got a great opportunity here. You know, um, he, he, he saw the possibilities. And when the shipwreck happened and they want to kill all the, the, the prisoners, I think one of the reasons why they didn't kill Paul and the others was that he was, he was talking to these people about Christ, you know. I mean, they, there were opportunities in the middle of the storms. Yeah. Excellent. What, what, what else would you guys say to, for someone who sincerely wants to move beyond level three? Well, you know, when, we, when we do our, when we train our pastors, pastors say they always want to start with their church. What do I do in my church? And what we say is, okay, sometimes you have to see your church as a day job. Uh, because not every church is going to make it. I mean, the, the, so what we say is you have to survey the site. Who is discipleable around you? Just do what Jesus did. Here he is, you know, he, he's, he's the son of God. He's on earth, and he just starts finding disciple people, and he goes to the most, the, the most, under, the, the most uh, 
decipherable group of people in, in the Jewish culture. Fishermen, every time you touch a fish, it dies, and you have to be ceremonially clean. Well, in John 5, it says that his disciples walked in, they saw Jerusalem's buildings, and they'd never seen them before because they were amazed at them. So the, here were guys that, that, that were not at all in church culture. So, so what happens is all around us, we have people who are discipleable, but oftentimes they're not in our churches. And so that's a hard thing to hear. So find who's discipleable around you. There's some in your church, and there's some, but the, but the point is just, you've got to start almost a disciple-making culture wherever you are. It's called the Acts 17 principle. It says the Father's appointed the times and places for all men. So he's get, you're in a place for a reason. He's appointed that place for you. Start making disciples where you are and, and keep your job. Don't get fired. Don't blow up your church. That's not going to help anybody. But, but, but serve them well. They deserve a, a good pastor, a good leader. But, but kind of if, if, if Jesus has anything stirring in your heart, start making disciples that are going to multiply wherever you are. And, and I think that's how you start a level four and five culture. I think it's, it's the difference between categorical and, and, and incremental change. So oftentimes we get addicted in the church to incremental change. We want things to get incrementally better. And I don't think you can incrementally go from a level one, two, or three church into a four and five that's a categorical shift. Four and five is categorical shift. One, two, and three is incremental. And you can, you can, you can use evangelism skills. You can use all kinds of things to go from one, two, and three. You can put, you can put out a digital sign. You can have advertising. You can go from one, two, and three. But if you go to four and five, there's a gulf between one, two, and three and four and five. And what I say is you've got to jump that gulf with a categorical shift. And maybe you don't leave your church. You have to make the shift. Your church may never make the shift. Your church may be hopeless in that shift, but you're not. That resonates. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you brothers have said. Um, I would just tack on that I would would cast a vision for, I'll share it in a second, but get and get them in a, uh, a training, coaching, peer coaching environment as soon as possible. Uh, And the vision I, I would cast is, is, uh, a missional church, um, the church, we need to learn how to add word and worship and community. Uh, we need to learn to add mission to it because as leaders, we're supposed to lead the church where, uh, the heart of Jesus is. And he goes to seek and save the lost, make disciples, uh, moves to the broken. And then he says he will build the church. If we, if we do that, I would cast that vision, but also cast the vision for, the American mission field, because most are super surprised by it, that we're the fourth largest mission field geopolitical border with the most lost people in it. Uh, and, you know, 2% of millennials just came out recently uh, from the Arizona Christian whatever research group, the 2% of millennials have a biblical worldview. You know, we are tanking fast. And so cast the vision of that burden and then say, come into a, a training environment where uh, a few things happen. What one would be? We've been sharing this uh, this research that Crew did uh, nationwide, uh, where we start looking at the profile of people that live in our cities to help to help them understand that we we need to learn uh, a new way of mission because we've been developing disciples in greenhouses, and that that's a, a great way to to grow flowers and plants and all that. But, but today's mission field is less like a, a greenhouse and it's more like an open field where there's, there's wind patterns and, 
animals and earthquakes and, and all that. And, and we're not repotting our people well in the wild fields of American society right now. And so we need to learn that it's more about moments uh, than events. And we need to turn, uh, learn how to be dandelions out there. Uh, that's really a flower. It's not a weed. And dandelions grow everywhere in, in wild fields. And, and we, we need to get people out where they live, work, learn, and play. Already said that. Where, where the petals of that flower are viewed as, as conversations. Train people to have conversations or we're going to lose completely our society because they're not moving anywhere fast from traditional evangelism. It's not about events. It's about moments turning spiritual, turning conversations to the gospel spirit and skilling people up for that. So those are a, a couple of things I would add. It's interesting. Something I see, obviously there's a lot of commonalities in, in what you guys are saying, you know, not a big surprise since you're all leading level four, level five networks. Um, but I, I, in, at Exponential, we talk about three dimensions of multiplication. One of them is disciple making. And, and you know, there's an addition and a multiplication end of that spectrum. You know, the kingdom of God grows one Christ follower at a time. But you talked about the, the Jesus way, the Jesus way of making. He actually built multiplication into it by disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And, and we, even when you look at, I, I think when uh, Dave Ferguson and Warren Bird wrote Hero Maker, somebody did the research, and we don't know exactly how Jesus spent his time, but what God chose to preserve in the gospel, 73% of his time was spent in some grouping of the 12. You know, he, he, he demonstrated the ability to, you know, to be able to draw masses, but he spent 73%, at least of what we know of the time that was captured with, in the Gospels, 73% of his time at the 12, because that was the multiplication piece. In, in the U.S. church, we tend to drive the addition end of the spectrum programmatically. And so we end up, you know, pulling back and forth, you know, with, with you know, I think that's where some of the consumer Christianity comes from and that sort of thing. But you guys have, have described this beautifully, and I just wanted to highlight that that's, one of the things that I see in all three is there's this uh, disciple-making um, um, multiplication piece of it in, in Jesus' way. The other thing I heard you saying is that the leaders need to be doing this themselves. Right. Right. And, and you know, I mean, it's, it, it, I guess it's hard to create a culture that, you know, if the leader is not doing it themselves, if he's not reaching out to his neighbors, if he's not discipling or he or she is not discipling, um, individuals, but um, and, and I'm, I, I think I, hopefully I'm character, you know, I don't want to read into, <laughs> I don't want to lead you or read into anything, but it just seems like that That's you're just describing that perfectly. Um, yeah. If culture is what you're used to, I lived overseas for 18 years and, and that's, that's my simple definition of what culture means. It's like, it's what you're used to from, music to how you wake up to how social distance when people talk to each other how people respond to everything and and in a church the culture is shaped what they're used to by the leader period okay. i think this is going to really cause our churches to have to re i mean every leader is in a reformation rest reshifting period whether they know it or not i think one of the big things that's happening right now is I think uh, David mentioned uh, the, the loss of, of, of gospel awareness uh, among millennials. It's shocking, some of the statistics. And, and I think what's going to come out of this is 
is not church service loss, because I think that's clearly going to happen. But I think culturally you're going to see a loss of Christian memory. And, and, and when you have Christian memory in the past, what we're able to do is uh, you're able to, I mean, we go downtown, uh, with, we have a theater district here, and they show these classic movies in the summertime. And we went to go see Casablanca. And Casablanca was this steamy, hot, and the church fought against this movie when it came out. It would be a faith-based film today. Because back in, the, in that time, you could nudge someone and say, you know you need to give your life to Christ. You know you're lost and going to hell. And they go, I need to give back to church. Yes, I need. And the most pagan person would say that. Now you can't. So, so I think the loss of Christian memory is going to be shocking to most leaders. And they don't realize it's happening at an accelerated pace because of COVID right now. And I think that the church, the problem is the church, they've been, their focus has been carpe manana, seize yesterday. You know, so we talk about, so we're seizing yesterday's approaches, yesterday's methods. We're still seizing yesterday's metrics. And we have to carpe diem. We have to seize the day the Father's given us now, which is, is a shifting secularization. And we have, to, we have to really wake up to what's happening. Uh, Barna's research on Gen Z shows and they don't know for sure if it's going to be 2%, 3%, 4%. But uh, we, we saw the church move from, uh, from 80, 90% of people who had a church experience at some point in their life to, uh, to 90. And so in a generation, it shifted from 85, 15, 15, no, 85% with, to millennials where it's 15, 85, where 15% are engaged in church as adults, 85 aren't. And then Gen Z is looking at a shocking, we don't know what it's going to be, but when they become, because they're, they're just now becoming adults, uh, but, but yeah. two, 3%. So, so in that, in that scene, you have got to have a completely different model for how to approach people. It can't be a church centric, like invite them to church. And that's why. Church yes. It's a, it has to be a dang, it has to start with Jesus, right? Yeah. Not with church. And, not that we're against church services as a vehicle. It's just that that day is gone. It's no longer even present. We have to start with Jesus. This is a football, gentlemen. You know, the, the, the basics of this is what we're about, right? I mean. Well, let me follow up with that and ask you guys about micro and vivo. So I work with denominational network leaders, you know, as a part of my role at Exponential. And, and I would say certainly for the last two years, three years, you know, the, the, I'd say the top two topics were um, bivocational, co-vocational, and micro-expressions. And, and that's just certainly been accelerated. It's been one of the things that have been accelerated. Well, how, how does, talk a little bit about co-vocational, bivocational, and micro-expressions, how that fits into to what you're doing through your networks. You know, I, I, I'm still learning a lot about two, two areas, online churches and bivocational, but on the micro, um, that's where we're exploding. We, we've, uh, in the last 42 months since we were, we, we started this overseas church movements. And, and when I was overseas, we, we planted churches in Eastern Europe. But in America, it, it only started 42 months ago. And we've, we've partnered to plant 124 churches since then, of which about 78% are micro. And we're starting to see four and five generations even in the last 20 months, which started 20 months ago, uh, it's it's amazing, and and there are there are things not that this call is for that that have, that I would go that the marker for what made that effective was the leader was well trained and is now in a peer coaching circle that he attends 
regularly. He's very well cared for because it's hard work <laughs> in our fractured oikos of America to do evangelism. And we're not talking about building new wineskins for old wine. We're talking about new wineskins for new wine, you know, new believers. Right. And, and, and the, the other would be that uh, the process is seen. It's like we use the three-thirds process and, and emphasize prayer, care, share lifestyle uh, where, where in discovery Bible study method. And, and people get it. It's just like, wow. And even though it feels when you start leading those Bible studies like you're dumbing down, you're going from a high seminary pulpit teaching down to this discovery Bible study, it's amazing how effective it is. And, and people go, I can do that. I, and, and you cast a vision for mission, uh, you know, the three-thirds method, which I'm not going to repeat here, but, but it's, it's been going great. I mean, I was just talking to a guy yesterday who, who is associated with us. He represents us to 2414 and, and big life. And they work with Chris and, and, uh, Oh, what's his name? The guy who wrote mega church, Chris Galanos. And, uh, and, and they're seeing multiplication in droves in Atlanta, in, in Indianapolis, uh, Dallas, Fort Worth area. It's, it's going well. Great. I think one of the positive things, uh, that's happened because of some some um, setbacks in our our just financial world culturally. I mean, since 2008, 2009, kind of a crash, things changed. Um, you know, we've got this uh, Uber, Lyft culture where people were doing side gigs. And having a side gig, side hustle does not have the stigma on it that it had maybe even 10, 15 years ago where only – you know, only people who couldn't measure up had that. And that spilled over into uh, at least the church planting world that I'm working with. A lot of folks are just saying, hey, you know, I like having this as a side hustle. I like, I, I don't have to to shoot to be an elephant type of deal. So uh, the the Bivo thing is just out there. People are doing that in their, um, they're starting to see, I don't need to just have one job and, uh, if I'm looking for one job with all the benefits and all the perks, I'm going to be looking forever. But if I can do some sort of side hustle and that's really opened up a lot of stuff in church planting, there's a, especially the entrepreneurial church planter guys. I hey, mean, we, can we I just say, keep, keep talking JD, but I, I want to learn from you and anybody else that, that I just, I'm just offering that out there. I, I want to know more. I love what you've said. Yeah. I, and I, the, the churches that we're doing in Mexico, it's just, it's just a given that the pastors have another job. If they don't, they're considered lazy, which might be a, you know, might, might, not the greatest stigma, but might be better than what we have. In, in Cuba, they all have some sort of side hustle. So we're just seeing more and more of that, and I think it's a good thing. It just um, opens up more possibilities for so many more people who God has called that they can – do ministry right where they are and make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. I, had, I, I ran into a guy uh, at uh, Exponential a couple of years ago and I taught a workshop and he caught me in between buildings afterwards. And I don't remember exactly what he did, but I remembered he was in the banking industry and, and he, he came up to me and he said, you, you talked about bivocational today. And he said, 
and, and he went on to tell me about how his his work in banking blesses what he does in ministry and how that blesses what and he said. I've I've used the term co-vocational, that that it was actually an intended and and I know some other people, a friend of mine, Brad Briscoe, uses that now with the idea that you know this isn't you know in fact oftentimes the business can be the entry into the the unchurched the people that don't yet know jesus um i've talked to a pastor who uh who was bivocational with the idea that once the church grew to a point he would be full-time well he realized that's where his interaction was and where he was coming to meet people who didn't know yet know jesus and decided and just felt like in good conscience he couldn't leave his job and so the and and realized i can add more staff if they're if they have the same mentality and so that became his process but yeah so many so many denominations are wrestling with where do i find church planters because the model has always been we've got money to give to this church plant and what we found (laughs) is and i've been a part of that process because you know uh, but every time you you really make them weakened because if they ever lose their funding, if they don't become sustainable, they're gone. And so you're investing in something that's almost destined to fail or has a high probability of failure. And then they have to really work and spend tons of paid hours trying to get out and connect with people. If you're co-vocational, especially in the right co-vocational area, you can't disciple the people that the father gives you co-vocationally and they're and they're paying you it's the inverse and so these denominations they i've had several denominations invite me in and they say where are you finding all your church planters first of all we say we don't we don't fund them and pay for them that's that 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 that's the first mistake you're making second of all you have a you have an old model that's that's basically baby boomers and gen xers were irritated with the church, so they basically went off and did their church gig and church plan and took denominational money to plant the church that they didn't have to be under the pastor for. But now with millennials and Gen Z, how many church staff members are irritated with the pastor wanting to do their own gig? So therefore, most denominations are going, we're not finding church planners. They're gone. They've dried up us because they're operating with a model that, you know, somebody called 1981 once their church back well you know that's that's gone it's not kind of, you know that's the, the reason why you don't have finding planners is because you have a old archaic model so we have it's not that this is a economic model that we're forced into it really has to be i think a strategy if, if it's not a strategy it's not going to work mm-hmm. and i think if it's it's got to be more than we've adopted the strategy because we have no other plans i think we really need to do some serious self-searching of, about the, bit, the basic process of how we're to make disciples and let Jesus plant his church. I think if we get that right, it'll all flow out of it. But if we still think we're planting churches, then I think that's a flawed mistake. I think that's a gen- genesis of the, of the problem right there, is that we make disciples, he builds the church. Yeah, uh, that's excellent. That's excellent. So, so where do you... Um, where do you find, because that is another question I get is, how do we find the church planters? Where, where are the, the church planters that have that kind of mindset surfacing for you guys? I, I think uh, people who are apostolic, they, that's just, those of us who are wired apostolic, finding, finding other people is not even an issue. I mean, Apostle Paul, he had people around him all the time. So we look for apostolic people. They, that's just what they do. They find church planning. They probably see that anybody 
could, could plant a church. But the apostles find church plant. People with the gift of encouragement are finding church plants and planters. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, if you look at the book of Acts, that's just what they're about. They're always looking on the lookout. If, if you're asking, and I'm, I know you just asked the question, but you know this, but, but I think these denominational people around, where are we going to find these people? You're kind of in the wrong job. That's just not your, you know, go do something else. Um, and I love the denominations because we can use their money to plant more churches. But uh, other, other than that, it, it, uh, you, yeah. you, you just talk to the, the hub leaders that we have. Um, it's just a natural thing. They're, they just, they flock, church planters flock to other people with entrepreneurial, um, you know, spiritual entrepreneur gifts. They, they find each other. So I, I don't think it's an issue. Yeah. In, in uh, what Dan and reminded me, or J, JD just reminded me, what Dan said earlier that if church planters, if finding a church planter is the traditional model, you already have, you already know where you find them. You find pastors and shepherds in seminaries. It's an educational model and it's a pretty dry hole. I mean, that's already said. But apostolic leaders, they, they find other people. In, specifically, and you could pray for this, we just uh, formed a new partnership with the uh, five largest campus ministries uh, with, with, with about 20 other denominational leaders that, that have a vision for multiplication. It's called the CM Squared Bridge Initiative, the Campus Movements to, to Church Movements Bridge. We're building because so 35,000 uh, graduates in IV, Crew, Navigators, Chi Alpha, Baptist Student Ministries, they, they graduate 25,000 or 35,000 a year, a year. And they're already used to reaching their dorm, their athletic team, their fraternity sorority, blah, blah, blah. And most of those ministries do not have a thriving alumni ministry. So we're we're trying to we're trying to capture that with sent graduates and and we think that the pipeline will grow because they are already used to apostolic movement um, and and it's wonderful wherever they take their jobs they could be co-vocational or be on a launch team or some of them want to be a, a church planter I'd be be wonderful pray for that so wonderful that's really interesting that's really interesting with this uh, this time went by uh, pretty quickly. Um, I have a whole list of questions here I'd still, <laughs> I'd still like to ask you. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, we're running out. Of, I, I do want to ask you one other thing, though. Um, how, what role is digital playing in what you're doing? You know, Kerry Newhoff said, uh, coming out of this, you shouldn't think of yourself as a physical church with an online presence. You should, you should think of yourself as an online church with a physical presence. And, and certainly, you know, that's going to be true for some churches. How, just briefly, what's the role of digital in what you guys are doing? I, th I think digital natives, I mean, at one point, shovel was technology, right? And so, so uh, to digital natives, this isn't technology. It's just, it's just a vehicle. So I think that that goes back to, I love what Dave was talking about, uh, getting in to start talking. Dave, it was awesome. Talk to some Gen Zs. They, they just naturally, they're such digital natives. They're, they proliferate this in such a natural way. It's, it's the people who aren't digital natives that are still struggling going, uh, technology. So, I mean, so I think that one of the things is it's, the answer is yes. Uh, I, I think and if we can get beyond models, it's going to be key for us. 
because models always get us in a bit of bondage because then we become tired of the model, the model changes, and then we have grief over the loss of the model. So I don't think it's micro churches, I don't think it's digital. I, I think yes, but that can't be, that can't be what we do. That has to be, if we're digital natives, it's not, it's not how we, it's not we define ourselves that way. It just is what we do. But if we can go get a, high, a little higher elevation, then the Holy Spirit will adapt us much more quickly. I think that's one of our problems. We're not managing change well, and I think if we have a different perspective paradigm, change because change is change is going to increase uh, so much quicker. At the, it, we're just seeing the beginning of change, yeah. so I think that that's one of the keys for us moving forward. Just. I would say Kerry Newhouse much smarter than me, but I I, I disagree. <clears throat> I think the physical there's a physical element, and I'm not talking about Sunday centric. I'm talking people need to be together. The Apostle Paul was given this vision; he had this great conversion experience, but it wasn't completed until Ananias showed up and put his hands on him. Good. And uh, you know, we've been meeting outside and. <clears throat> Our services are short. They're different. You know, worship's just weird, right? It's just different online stuff. But people need that physical touch. Yes. And I, I think the digital is great. It expands our outreach. It's, it's wonderful for people who are missing out on some things and, and all that. But I just feel like discipleship, there's a piece of that that you have to come next to somebody yep. and – and put your hands on him and say, and it, Paul said, I, he wrote the letters, right? <clears throat> he did what he could. He had prison ministry. He made it work. <laughs> but he said, I long to come to you so I can impart some spiritual gift. There's something about that. And, and Gen Zers want that too. They, 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 they view uh, social media, I think mainly, I've just heard this, I, we have Gen Zers on our staff, as kind of a place to escape and make initial contact, but they want a safe place to gather where they have a voice and they feel known. And it's a great opportunity for us to come alongside them and, and provide those safe places. Um, so those, those are a couple of thoughts. They, that they we all want that. No, yeah, we did. They, sometimes like they hate, well, they're hating zoom. It's like, if I go to one more zoom meeting, I'll vomit, you know, I, I'm quoting somebody who said that to me yesterday. Anyway. <laughs> well, thank you for joining me via Zoom today, so that we could do could do this. And I I, I do look forward to the time when uh, when we can sit at a, uh, a coffee shop and continue the conversation. Are you um, buying then, Bill? I will buy. I will buy. <laughs> yes, I will buy. You can hold me to that. And uh, yeah, I look I look forward to uh, look forward to that opportunity. And thank you guys for uh, for your commitment to Jesus mission and for allowing God to, to work through you, uh, in, in just some truly remarkable ways and, uh, grateful for what, uh, what God's been able to do through you and through your networks. And, and we pray that that, um, that continues, um, such great examples for the, you know, the, the becoming five framework and the three dimensions framework. So you, you guys are just great examples of that. I think uh, for those of you that are watching, I think Brooks put the uh, the link in for the Multipliers Leading Beyond Edition, which is a free download that has some of those. Um, we're also, I just mentioned, I don't know if, if you guys know, we, uh, we've done um, roundtables. We have different host churches throughout the fall that have done roundtables and the feedback's been amazing. We're actually this spring in April and May going to be uh, doing more roundtables, but we're opening it up to um, uh, eight of our uh, 
multiplication framework. So be, you can do a round table on, on the three dimensions of multiplication or culture of multiplication or the becoming five framework and different things too. So we're, we're excited about that. It's, you know, it's like everybody else. This is part of our like three exponential three year plan to continue to push out the, you know, so that, you know, the information so that people could do it themselves and that, you know, that three year plan. We love partnering with you, Bill. Thank yeah. you. Well, it's, it's JD and Dan is great to meet you. I look forward to knowing yeah. you better. Likewise. Yeah. Thanks for your time today. I appreciate it.